Welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast, created to equip ourselves with insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week, first as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go and make disciples. Let's dive into this week's discussion. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's installment of the Emergence Discipleship Podcast. I'm Doug Becker, and I am joined once again with... Kristen Gorder. Yes, joined by. (laughs) Yes, joined by Kristen Gorder. Yes, Kristen is back. uh, Yeah. From all her medical procedures. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have any medical procedures. Oh, okay. Never mind. It's in the dark. (laughs) I just had some babysitters fall through. So. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I was way off. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, Kristen, given the um, the subject matter of this week, um, I think we should start off by addressing the kind of the elephant in the room, the question that's probably on everyone's mind, which is, are you drinking seltzer? And if so, what flavor? <laughs> I am actually not drinking seltzer. I'm drinking water with lemon today. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Water with lemon. I've, I've actually got uh, the polar lemon only flavor all right so, so we're kind of on the same page again gonna crack that that's, one open that's here. a nice sound that's it's a, a very nice it's a very clean tasting lemon yeah you've got the bubbly water i've got the still water version yeah yeah i mean basically or as they say <laughs> does in europe aren't they like with gas is that how they say it isn't that <laughs> it Although, <laughs> when they, like that when they say that to me they might be referring to something else <laughs> but because it is me but I don't know. <laughs> I'm just over here thankful you're in your basement and not in, in the office. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. All right. So <laughs> anyway. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's start off uh, just with uh, some announcements. Uh, I think, I don't think there's anything. Oh, there is actually one. But let me go through the announcements on here first. And then let me just uh, give my special announcement. So. Uh, first off, just remember, um, we got that uh, night of worship coming up. No, um, that's uh, November 21st. That's Sunday evening. Uh, it's going to be great. Everyone should definitely attend and you don't need to register. So just show up with your happy self and your family. Come on and out. Yeah, come on out. And then uh, and then uh, Discover Emergence. And uh, we were saying just before we hit record here, Kristen, how many did we have out for Discover Emergence yeah, this Sunday? Like- 37, 39 people in Totowa and seven people in Ringwood. So really great turnout. It was ex- it was just awesome to see everybody and be back nice. at it. A good way to hit uh, good attendance and discover emergence is to not do it for like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a year and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really builds the anticipation. That's right. <laughs> so no, that that, that was. Uh, that was, looked terrific. So, and I was encouraged to see a bunch of our uh, community group leaders were in there. Yep, I saw no a doubt. few. Yep. That's right. Um, well done. Heeding my threats. <laughs> and then finally, as we've been saying to you, uh, the uh, we got a middle slash high school retreat coming up um, January 14th through 16th at Camp Orchard Hill in PA. So just encourage anybody who's got students of that age to uh, to sign up. And that's going to be uh, signups are available in the digital bulletin through November 18th. Yep. Now, the what's that now? It should be a good time. It should be a good time. Yeah. 
I remember uh, the last youth retreat I was on was a uh, was one with the chapel that I was invited to be the speaker on. So I was like, you know, I was uh, probably about like uh, 10 years or so out of high school. And I came back because I was living in Chicago to speak at it. And it was a winter retreat. And uh, so I busted out my old snowboard and hit the slopes. I think it was over at Wyndham. And I remember I knew I was getting old because I snowboarded fine. The hardest part about it was strapping my boots in to the bindings. Lots of grunting. I was like, oh, I was like, like, oh, how did I used to do this? That's how I sound when I stand up out of a chair these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Only you're with child. I was not. Uh, It's it's not like alienation. (laughs) Did you ever see that show or was that before your time? That's before my time. Uh, it was like these uh, these aliens who came and lived among us and the guys would get pregnant. And they also oh. they also couldn't touch salt water. So shout out if you remember Alien Nation. Um, we got. Uh, all right. So then our next um, uh, announcement that I don't have on the, uh, the thing here is. Um, Actually, uh, I want to clarify what's going on with the uh, the kind of um, the uh, mismatched weeks right now. So, all every once in a while, our um, our senior pastor Ryan Batesel likes to throw a little a little uh, little curveball, little curveball <laughs> to us here in community group discipleship department, and decides to go an extra week on one of the passages that we decided would would only be one week. So, and last week slash this week is it. So in the study guides, I'm sure you guys all know, uh, this um, chapters 18 and 19 are, I believe, lesson six, but he's made those into two sermons. So the study guide for this week, of course, is the same as the study guide for last week. Okay. So, and then next week we'll be picking up in order. Um, Am I describing this totally weird? Yeah, I think so. No, it's fine. Next week we hop in and everything is normal. But (laughs) there's one other thing. So initially, um, okay, actually, I'm not going to go any further than that right now because (laughs) I just realized there's an aspect of this planning that I still don't understand. So I'll get back to you on that. But just so that you know, I've I've already- Really well prepared over here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've already received like two emails on this. So just- if um, if there's any confusion, the, the the study guide is the same uh, this week as it was last week because what was initially one lesson got broken okay. into two sermons. Yeah, I'm I'm following. I'm following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they should should too. So um, we we're off to a good start to stick to like a 45 minute schedule. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> Kristen jinxed us before we began. So all right, well let's jump in then. Let's let's yeah, go. We're just trying to love you guys well and keep your keep your listening ears open for a shorter period of time. But That's this is right. a doozy. This is a doozy. Yeah, it's a tough passage. Um, so, um, okay, let's go Genesis ahead. Nineteen one to three. Yeah. Yes. 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 Shall I read it? You shall. All right. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. 
but he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Okay. So notice how the setup of this chapter is very similar to ver- to chapter 18, right? Especially if you're like from Lot's perspective, it's not like you read chapter 18 before this happened, right? Where you're just sitting there, just like Abraham was sitting there and he looks up, he opens, lifts up his eyes and, oh gosh, there's some angelic visitors coming. And uh, he gets up and, and invites them to partake of a feast. So very similar setup to chapter 18. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah. Um, were you going to say something, Kristen? So, no, I was just going to read what you wrote here. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude, go for it. <laughs> Ryan began the message by talking about how Lot, who initially intended to toe the line between benefiting uh, benefiting from Sodom's prosperity while keeping the wicked city at an arm's length, is now thoroughly entrenched in its life and culture. And I'm getting, I'm guessing we know this because he's sitting at the gate, which is really where like the main, the main dude sat the people who kind of ran the city, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, There's a bunch of passages that uh, you see this in in the Old Testament. Uh, You see it in the Book of Ruth, that that's where the big transaction happens uh, with Boaz and the Book of Ruth. Um, You see it in, um, I don't remember the exact chapter, but that weird law where the the brother who has a widowed uh, sister-in-law refuses to perpetuate his uh, brother's, his deceased brother's uh, family. Uh, that whole uh, procedure is to take place in the city gate where they mm-hmm. take off his sandal and she spits in his face. <laughs> and from that point on, I think he's to be called the one whose sandal was removed. Uh, you know, obviously something you don't want to happen to you. Uh, nothing like me to bring in obscure laws from the Torah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I think of other things like, um, David's son Absalom, when he's looking to steal the throne from him, sits in the city gate. And anybody who comes in for, for ju- judgment or justice before the king is like, he's not going to help you. But if I was king, I would help you. So, yeah, mm. the, the, the city gate is, in fact, in, in excavations, uh, city gates often have several chambers in them uh, where you can where you can sit different places to sit and do business. Uh, ah, OK, yeah. Um, so yeah, very important place. So yeah, a lot is, uh, who initially was like, you know, we were told when he moved there, they were great sinners before the Lord. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and just kind of goes to live among them. Um, uh, presumably with the best of intentions. And now this is the first kind of taste where you're like, well, lot is fully ensconced in what is going on here. Now he's fully become a part of this city. And, uh, so, so danger lights are kind of going off already yeah um so, so we yeah. we kick off with can you think of a time when small steps of compromise eventually led you to in a place that was totally contrary to god's will mm. um and well yeah <laughs> 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 i know i can <laughs> yeah most most immediately what comes to mind was I was in college and, you know, just that I was like, oh, I don't have a car. <laughs> I have to wake up early to go to church. It was suddenly on me to get to church. And I just stopped going to church because the logistically it was difficult and I mm. wanted to sleep. And then, you know, you do that long enough and you just don't really have, you lose a desire to be a part of that community. You just started going to Bedside Baptist? Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> go i was at a christian college and that made it even like yeah, easier 
to well, set aside some of those. Because <laughs> you're probably going to chapel too. So you're like, yeah. I kind of have church going on. Yeah, you know, we pray there. before we start class. So I'm I'm gathered with Christians. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, so definitely an open-ended question here, but, yep. um, you know, d- uh, fodder for some hopefully good opening conversation. Absolutely. Uh, the second question here, Ryan also mentioned how pride can lead us to foolishly place ourselves close to objects of temptation. How does this happen? And mm. uh, I thought that was a good point that he raised, and I'm kind of hoping that you guys remember where he took this because I know that this can maybe I thought maybe this might be a little bit of a confusing question. Uh, but basically what I have in mind here is, uh, you know, what he was saying, where I, I think the the um, example he used was, you know, I can live next to the liquor store. So, right, where you you believe that you are uh, uh, strong enough that you can just um, start making unwise decisions. Right. Yeah. Like I, I would never fall in this way. And so I can do this. And, yeah. And I can do that. Um, yeah. You know, know, I had a, I had a really good friend of mine who was formerly an alcoholic and he was telling me how, even if he tastes food that has been made with alcohol, he knows Mm. that it was made with alcohol and he makes the choice to not even partake in the food, Mm. um, just because he, he doesn't want to become prideful in, in his nearness to it. Yeah. Um, And like, that's an example of, (laughs) of, knowing your weaknesses, but also knowing like where to to just setting strong bounds for yourself. Yeah. I know. I know another thing Ryan mentioned that was, uh, I think is always good to keep in front of people, especially you who have groups with singles in them is uh, the idea. A lot of surprising number of Christians these days uh, feel that it's okay to cohabit with their fiancés or boyfriends and girlfriends, even before they're married. Um, you know, believing nothing compromising can happen to us. Um, and, you know, just the very unwise decision. Um, yep. So a bunch of stuff like that, I think would be appropriate to bring up. Um, you know, I don't need to do accountability anymore. I haven't fallen in a long time, all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are all, these are all good examples. Um, so the next question is a head question. What does Lot do in these verses that suggests that he is aware that the visitors were in danger by coming into the city? And I mean, I think just looking at the text, he immediately, his first reaction to them is to take them to his house. Um, He's immediately insisting like, hey, come to my house. (laughs) Let's not even, let's just, let's leave where we are right here and, and go straight to my place and I'll, I'll feed you and I'll, I'll set you up. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why is he so against them staying in the city square? Like, yeah. yeah. So there's a bunch of like foreboding. Is the, is, is that common? Was that a common thing? If, if you were traveling, would travelers just go to the city square, city square to stay? That felt like a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, was cert- that- it was certainly an option. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, guessing it was more common in safer cities than this one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't I don't know enough about the practice, but I know that okay. it's not like wouldn't have been considered weird or anything. Yeah. Um yeah. Um yeah, people right. people people were yeah, you had to be available to sleep in some weird places back then, mm. uh and with some weird accommodations. Cloaks often functioned as blankets at night and things like that, which is why one of the reasons why you're not allowed to take a cloak and pledge, according to mm-hmm. the, um, you know, to Deuteronomy. So, 
um, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. There's actually an interesting uh, inscription from a, a place called Yavne Yan in, uh, in, is, in ancient Israel, where it's uh, somebody complaining for justice to the town administrator that so-and-so took my cloak and now I have nothing to sleep in, mm. to sleep under. So yeah, you have uh, just weird, you know, people sleeping on rocks and in weird places. So yeah. Um, clothing for sure. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So verses four through 11, we're going to, we're going to keep rolling Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. 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 Um, should I read or read this? Okay, cool. So, but before they lay down the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to meet the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and they and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they were struck with blindness. The men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. I really like that dramatic reading, Doug. Thank you very much. I've been practicing it. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) So. Yeah, definitely uh, a dramatic scene. Yeah, uh, it if is. There ever was one. So, okay. So, obviously, this is interesting. Uh, yeah. A lot of stuff to say about this. Um, first off, we note that in last week's discussion, uh, there are several indications that God's primary concern with Sodom and Gomorrah were issues of violence and injustice. First, in Genesis 18, 20 through 21, God says that he's come to judge the cities because of the outcry against them, uh, because it's great and their sin is very grave. And second, Ezekiel 16, 49 50 through 50 explicitly tells us this much. So in Ezekiel, again, explicitly, it says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, you know, it's a bunch of justice stuff, right? It's not like... They there were guys there who wanted to sleep with guys. And so um, so that's, you know, it definitely puts that kind of in, in the center of it. it. It says that she has uh, pride and excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not know how to po- aid the poor and the needy. Mm-hmm. Um, they were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Um, so, yeah, Um so that so that's one thing I think that we all have to keep in mind, yeah. Um, because this this text obviously uh, is 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 one that gets brought up frequently in questions regarding the very difficult topic of uh, the biblical perspective on same sex relationships. Yeah, I feel I feel like in our in our culture right now, that's even people who don't really know the Bible know Sodom and Gomorrah in, the, yeah. in this story in particular. Yeah, I mean, for, for uh, even two two prominent expressions have come into English parlance through it, right? Sodomy, of course, and then also Mm -hmm. fire and brimstone preaching. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's, it's definitely part of our cultural memory. Um, But before we even get to that, um, well, we have a little bit more of an introspective question here. Mm 
In what ways do our lives reflect the criticism of Ezekiel that Sodom and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy? How can we separate ourselves from that? Um, And again, again, a very open-ended question, but this one (laughs) to me is like super convicting. Yeah, it is. Um, (laughs) That just pierced a little. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, for example, um, when this whole thing went down with the withdrawal from Afghanistan and we heard about Christians who were fleeing into the mountains, um, I was out to dinner with my wife eating tapas when Mm. that happened, you know, and I've got like, you know, uh, patatas bravas in front of me and we're like, holy cow, what do we, you know, and should we cancel the order of calamari coming out? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, now, obviously, I mean, uh, one could take these things to extreme, but I mean, I think we are, you know, we should, we, our first instinct also probably should not be to explain that away, to excuse ourselves mm-hmm. when we, you know, we do live in, in a lot of comfort. Um, and yeah. while the Lord does want us to enjoy what he's given to us, like, if we're not also engaged in helping the poor and the needy, yeah. Uh, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, then um, that is very, uh, you know, um, we're not a whole lot better than yeah. the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And, you know, your second part of this question, how can we separate ourselves from that? Um, it just made me think of a, a practice that I heard of a friend does, um, or at least did. And in, in an act of sort of fasting and prayer, they took one day a week where they, instead of like fasting from food entirely, they swapped their food choice and just had rice and beans that day mm. with their family and used it as a kind of a teachable moment to talk about um, the lack in the world and pray for, pray for those who um, uh, didn't, didn't have access to the food. That, that we have access to here most, most frequently, um, which I thought that was a cool kind of lesson. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, it's, it's hard to keep that one at the forefront. And I guess that's kind of really what that practice was, was meant to do. Just kind of keep, keep that at the forefront of your mind, but also actively, like you said, serving um, and, and kind of getting out of our, our comfort zones to, to serve those yeah. who, who are poor and needy. One other thing I'll throw in there, and I think that this has uh, kind of received a little bit more attention, at, at least uh, I've seen a lot more of it recently than than I used to, is that I think I think there's some something to be said for being wise in our giving and for um, actively looking for ways that our that what we give can have the greatest benefit as opposed to other kinds of giving which are not wholly unhelpful, but might have a lot more to do with easing our own conscience than actually helping the people that we're, we're sent to, um, that, that, that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're sending help to or trying to help. So, um, you know, I, I think that that should probably be a part of what we do as well. Like, uh, what is the most effective way to, to help people? Yeah. There's a great book on that. It's called Helping Without Hurting. Mm, okay. I definitely recommend. Yeah. Who's the author again? I could look it up for you. Oh, I thought you no, said no. I. I thought you gave the author there. No, it's it's just called Helping Without Hurting. Oh, okay. Um, 
I don't think you said I definitely recommend. Is that what you I said? I definitely recommend oh, it. Yeah. I thought I thought you said something like by <laughs> Stephanie Lieberman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if that's who wrote it? Okay, everyone listening, <laughs> rewind. Does that look sound well? There's there's also <laughs> when helping hurts. Maybe that's the one that I'm thinking of. When helping hurts, how how to alleviate poverty without hurting. Um mm. oh, and helping without hurting. Yeah. There's Oh, that's a short-term missions book, so that might be not be as relevant. Anyway, yeah. Well, sh- short-term missions is 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 an interesting uh, part of this conversation too, though. So it is. not to be neglected. Yeah. And so yeah. Fun fact: I work for a short-term missions agency or ministry in the area, and they actually this was a huge focus of theirs was just educating people on how to do that. Yeah. As so I if said, you want to talk about that more, I'm always happy to have that conversation. Yeah. Actually, the the Lord actually uh, pulled me into uh, back into a relationship with Christ through a short term missions trip, which I had no business being on. <laughs> yeah, that um, happens. yeah, it happens. <laughs> All right, <laughs> like All right. so sticker says, yeah. <laughs> uh, moving as we saw in the study guide and in the sermon this week, there are two common misuses of this chapter, which I think. Doug, you already hit on. One is to assert that the only thing we can learn from it is the same-sex attraction is wrong. And the other is to assert that it has nothing to do with same-sex attraction. What are the dangers of each of those extremes? And what is a more accurate way to think about the role that same-sex relations plays in the narrative? Mm. So this is a bit of a thinker as well as a a heart one. Yeah, yeah. So... The first thing I do want to point you guys to is you might have noticed that uh, we've taken up a significantly uh, greater amount of your paper and ink this uh, week in the length of this study guide. And that's because uh, the last two pages or so are uh, basically tips for how to have this conversation. Um, of course, the first chapter, the first paragraph is uh, a comment on a passage in Jude 1. Uh, well, Jude 1 is the only chapter in Jude, but Jude verse 7, uh, which is sometimes brought into this because it does talk about the men of Sodom. And so just in case in case that comes up. But um, but yeah, I, I, I think I give uh, how many did I give something somewhere around like nine or so suggestions. Uh, how many dots do I have here? Yeah, nine <laughs> suggestions on things that I think might be helpful. Um and so uh, go ahead and take a look at that um, when you get a chance. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a week to prepare. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I don't want to pretend like I know everything about having tough conversations about, um, you know, contemporary sexual issues. But, um, yeah, um, I think, you know, balancing truth with love is something that's especially called for in this. So I provided that with you, uh, provided you with that for this. Um Another interesting thing, and I guess that this is as good of part uh, as part of any to mention this. Um, you know, we talk about um, the pat where God says there's an outcry against the city, and we talked about um, the passage from Ezekiel 16 about uh, you know, which kind of suggests that there's this is a lot about a lot more than than just the same sexness of what's going on here. Another interesting passage in that respect. Uh, is actually Judges 19, which is this really terrible, kind of like another one of these whole cover your kid's eyes passages in the Bible, um, where uh, 
this is the story of about the Levite and his concubine. Yes, who, that's what comes to my mind. Yeah, immediately. And it's Maybe it's almost like, hey, you're my daughters. It's consciously, yeah, and it's consciously par- um, patterned off of this, and the um, and uh, I think the the implication is that we're to see that Israel has become worse than Sodom and Gomorrah because okay. what happens there is even worse than what happens here right. in terms of the actions of the people of the city. And one thing to note there is that that is a heterosexual crime. It's heterosexual mm-hmm. rape that is portrayed as war, even worse than what happens here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, we're not trying. I'm not trying to detract from the fact. Again, I think that the strongest point that that the the same sex aspect of this is still an issue in Sodom and Gomorrah is the fact that it is virtually inconceivable that an ancient Israelite author would have written a passage where this happens. And expected an, Israel, an ancient Israelite audience to not perceive this as wrong. This is a common point of sexual immorality um, in in uh, uh, the Levitical holiness code, um, and the the unanimous testimony of Scripture is um, is uh, Scripture doesn't budge on this issue. Um, so it's very hard if, if if we we're making calls on moral implications throughout Genesis, right? We've seen Abraham lies here and we're supposed to see that as wrong and things like that. Well, if we're going to say that, then I think, you know, that is something that is legit in this text. Um, that said, this is not the only thing that the Bible says about this. So even without the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, this obviously comes up in scripture otherwise. So yeah. it's not like the issue stands or falls on whether or not you see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. Um, so, okay. Um, so let, well, let's, let's, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, that's some of the dangers of this passage is just using it as the bludgeoning tool. Um, and to, to answer the, the question that we just asked, what are the dangers of each of these extremes and what are more accurate ways to think about that role? So, I mean, you, you just covered that. We don't want to use it to bludgeon. We don't want to also use it to, to kind of, uh, justify either. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, and I, I think uh, for me, if I were to, the, the dangers of the two extremes, you know, um, overemphasizing the same sex action, um, action, attraction aspect of this, I think um, denigrates, uh, first of all, I think it misreads what is actually going on here, because as Ryan explained in the sermon, this is a, this is a form of dominance and brutalization. It's, um, you know, um, and, and so like there's, it, it causes us to not see that this city is being judged for even more despicable issues of injustice and violence and hatred towards the outsider and things like that. Um, and so we don't, the day, one of the dangers I would say is that the same sex issue can be used as an excuse for, for really not seeing the big thing that this is teaching us. And then of course, um, uh, underestimating it, can lead us to, I think, miss something that is a legitimate teaching of scripture that is extremely important that the church gets right in this day and age. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we can keep moving because I think you, you oh, nailed man, You it. are so committed to hitting this. I am. I'm okay. really committed. I'm All just, right. I'm really committed. That's fine. <laughs> but, okay. But, but I also feel like we're already, we're getting into some of the, um, the questions that are ahead of us yet. So okay. I'd love to, right. to get them, get there. So what are the narratives that are not so subtle ways of justifying God's judgment against the entire city? Yeah. Well, 
I mean, <laughs> every man, young and old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Notice, notice how, notice how every time in, especially in Old Testament narrative, you see this when you have these redundancies where it's like, he could have just said this, but they say it like three times. Yeah. That's, uh, and we, we'll also see it in this, uh, the, the passage coming up this week that Steve's going to be preaching on on Sunday. But it's a, it's it's a, a a narrative way of kind of like underlining, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone, so this city's about to be destroyed, and it's like there's no one who wasn't in attendance at this. Yeah, yeah. and so. and we even see, I mean, and they're they're persistent, and we even see Lot basically, uh, kind of even sink to their level, really. Um, yeah. To answer your next question a little bit, let's not. Let the desire of the men of Sodom distract us from Lot's heinous suggestion, verses seven and eight. Um, And that's where he offers up his own daughters who are virgins and to to just these, this mob scene, which is just mind-blowingly heinous. It's awful. Yep. Yeah. And And Go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. I, I, mean, I was just going to say, I, when I've heard this taught before, somebody pointed out how knowing how Sodom is and what it's like in Sodom, the fact that his daughters are still virgin makes you wonder if he just kept them under lock and key their entire life. Oh, holy cow. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah. And of course, we don't want this just to be a tisk tisk thing, right? On lot. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I mean, of course, it's inexcusable what he says. Um, and I think that's the point, right? That this is how morally compromised he's become. Um, but, you know, examples of how we put our own children in harm's way by moral compromise. Again, a very open, open-ended open question, but I, I think yeah. of things like, you know, if I if I neglect my spiritual life, I'm not going to lead them well. Uh, you know, if, I, if I'm walking far from the Lord, I, I'm not going to be able to lead them effectively. I think of perhaps the types of things that I allow myself to be entertained by and maybe, you know, um, the, the kinds of things that, that we're okay with being watched and listened to and done in the home, uh, all kinds of things like that. What do they see me doing? Are they, are they, are they seeing me, um, you know, getting drunk? Are they seeing me, you know, doing all kinds of like uh, being a hypocrite? Yeah. Those are ways to put our children in harm's way. What, what do you think, Kristen? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Yeah, it just like what are we exposing our children to on an, on a day to day basis? Yeah. Um. How how are they seeing? Because you know, kids know. Kids know when you're blowing smoke. They 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 know when you're faking it. And um, like, I I yeah, I think when when we're not, and, and it gets back to the whole compromise that that Ryan was talking about. Um, kids know when, when you're compromised and mm, it's like, Hey, yeah. why do I, why do I have to do this? You don't do this yourself. And it's like, do what I say, not what I do. Um, <laughs> and we don't ever want to be put, like put them in that situation when it comes to, you know, their, their eternity, their, yeah. who, who, who they follow, you know, for the yeah. rest of their lives. What, what did my parents, uh, value? What, what did they yeah. honor with their lives? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want the Lord to 
you know, to do a great work in them despite me, <laughs> despite <laughs> right, my right. failures. Yeah. And and thank the Lord that he does do do great work yes, in them yes. despite us. But um, we want to partner with, with the Lord as much as we can in raising them. And right. um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do we think is signified by the blindness inflicted by the angels on the men of Sodom? Ooh, I like that question because I never thought of it that way, that it would signify anything. But I mean, uh, the first thing that pops into my head is just like they're blind to their wickedness. Yeah. Um, they up to this point, you know, like it's never maybe maybe it's been pointed out to them, but they're they're completely blind to it in the first place. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think, uh, I think that blindness, uh, often will signify, um, moral incent, moral desensitization, moral compromise. Um, uh, you think for example, of, uh, Samson in the book of judges who constantly goes after a woman who is quote unquote, right in his own eyes. And he does yeah. what is right in his own eyes. And then he's captured by the Philistines and imprisoned and they put out his eyes. Yeah. And then uh and then you have at the beginning of first Samuel the priest Eli, whose uh sons are doing all kinds of crazy stuff at the entrance of the uh the tent of meeting where the women are coming in and they're taking advantage of them and doing all kinds of wonky stuff with the sacrifices there. And he's described as being blind, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 dim of eyes and, and he and he can't see. And so yeah, and so it's it's uh it's uh, it's a fitting judgment, I think, that we're to see as, you know, just another illustration of, of um, you know, that uh, that these people just don't um, just uh, are being they're being judged in a way that is, that befits their sin. That is almost ironic. It's almost an yeah. irony. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in our culture, we have the, the phrase like we have blind spots, mm-hmm. meaning we have areas of our life that we can't see um or are unwilling to see and that's i think we might get into this but i know that ryan talked about the scary prayer that david prayed and search me O lord and, and know my heart um mm. and that's just that's a prayer of uncovering those blind those blind spots yeah. that blindness yeah. that we might have in our, in our own lives and and interestingly too here they strike them with blindness and then after that they wear themselves out groping for the door so even after that Right. They're like, they, they're still like so intent that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's mind blowing to yeah. me. It, that's it, it, It's mind blowing if it didn't look so much like my own heart. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. That's, I mean, that's the temptation is, is just to read this as a, as a total narrative and be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they were so wicked without actually saying like kind of inserting yourself in the story and putting. I think that's the point of a lot of this too, is to put ourselves not in like the seat of the angels coming and bringing the justice or the seat of the daughters who um, have just been offered up as basically a sacrifice, but put ourselves in the seat of lot who's being wicked and the men of the city who are being wicked um, and, and recognizing that we too, (laughs) we too are are right there alongside of them in, in many senses. Yep. Of grace, but yeah. So I, I think that that's a, you know, just a, another interesting way thing that the narrator kind of throws in to illustrate what's going on. All right. Let's uh, let's read the next uh, cluster of verses here. Kristen, would you do uh, verses 12 through 16 there on your, uh, sure. your nifty device? 
<laughs> Sorry, I forgot my Bible, Doug. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, then the meds. The, then the men said to Lot, "Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it." So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, oh, "Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city." But he seemed to his sons to sons-in-law to be jesting as the morning dawned the angels urged lot saying up take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city but he lingered so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand the lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside of the city yeah so Okay, so some interesting stuff here. Um, uh, notice how the angels are unable to elicit any sense of urgency about God's judgment in Lot's family. His sons-in-law won't go with, won't listen to him because they think he's jesting. And then when he's urged to go, he lingers and needs to be led by the hand out of the city. Reading this, he seems quite foolish. But how do we act in ways that are similar to Lot? Mm. Um, so the first thing I think you want to do here is figure out like what exactly is Lot. Um, what exactly is the problem here? And, and one of them seems to be that, um, again, the whole passage is kind of about, or at least the way we're framing it, is about moral compromise and that it really, you know, this is what Lot has become. And, um, and it, whatever it is that he's done or hasn't done, it's to the point where when there is a sense of spiritual seriousness and urgency and he needs to be heard, people don't take him seriously when it comes time to talk about the things of God. Mm -hmm. And um, we can think of a ton of ways in which we do that in our lives. Uh, one of the ways in which the text subtly, I think, um, uh, suggests this is notice the similarity between what he says to his sons-in-laws and what the angels say to him, right? He comes and says, up, let's get out of here. And they think he's joking. And yeah. you can imagine a lot being like, oh, those idiots. But then the next day, the angels come to him and are like, up, let's get out of here. And yeah. he's like, and he's like, oh, like, let's wait until uh, the game is over. Or and This is what it sounded like me, me talking to my kids this morning, trying to get them, to get them out the door. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. the door. Up! <laughs> <laughs> this is urgent. <laughs> yes. Nice. Uh, I like that. What? So... I do have a question for you, Doug. Were the like does does Lot know at this point that these guys are angels, or does he still think they're just a couple of like because he's not taking them seriously? Yeah, um, it's it's hard to know. Just like in the in the Abraham uh, story, the chapter earlier, it's hard to know at what point. Uh, yeah, they understand. But if you look at the way that they're speaking, it's kind of weird. So, like, if you look like what they say in verse thirteen. He says, we, they say, we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against us become great before the Lord. And so the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Right. So at that point, I'm kind of like, you know, it'd be hard if he didn't understand. These are some kind of messengers that bear right. God's authority. Yeah. Or is he thinking like, these two dudes think they're going to destroy the city. Let's just I mean, see what happens to them <laughs> when they cry. <laughs> like, uh, and that's why he's like, oh, um, we'll be fine. Let them do their the thing and then go back. <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultra cynical interpretation right there. No, maybe. Yeah, maybe he doesn't. Yeah. 
whatever way, you know, he's not able to hear them. He's not able. Yeah. Able to, uh, he's so, just not taking seriously. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, again, another, another kind of open-ended question. How do we act in ways that are similar to that, where yeah. our compromise has compromised our wit- ability to witness um, mm-hmm. and uh, possibly also like our reluctance to treat with seriousness, the things that are urgent in our lives. Um, yeah. Regarding the Lord. Yeah. What do these so what do you, yeah. Ow, look at no that. All right. What do these verses teach us about God's heart towards those who are perishing? Mm. I think they teach us. I, I, I mean, I see how the angels, um, you know, have been like, get the heck out of here, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And he still, he still lingers. And then they take him by the hand and are like, and so this is just kind of like, you know, God cares very much about those who are perishing and, yeah. you know, um, uh, even and, if they're undeserving <laughs> as a lot yeah. appears to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that that's, that's a, you know, a kind of a good illustration for how much God will, uh, will kind of bend us to his will if he has to and, and bringing us and bring us where we need to be and helping us to take things seriously. Yeah. Well, it also makes me think of um, the conversation we just had last week about Abraham talking with the Lord about um, how many, uh, if there's only 10 righteous, will, will you still destroy the city? Um, that whole conversation. And it makes me think of that because here we're seeing Basically, it's been established that not that law is not righteous, and yeah, yet yeah. Um, he's being dragged from the city out of out of mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, it, yeah. I mean, one could really, one really wonders if, like, how how, like, uh, how morally righteous he could be considered. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, perhaps in comparison with the people of the city. Um, he might be better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't think lot is portrayed here as, I mean, obviously there's some things he doesn't hear that you'd be like, well, that's, that's evil. Like, especially what he says with his daughters and stuff. Um, but I kind of get the feeling that perhaps he's being portrayed a little bit more as like a moral and spiritual sloth and buffoon. Mm. And, and I think, feel like the fool that's described in proverbs yeah and and the point is that that eventually leads you to do very bad things um so um because i i again coming off of what is said in the last chapter where he's like if if there's 10 righteous found in the city what are you going to do and i i i don't know if i could prove this with the text but i i think we're to take lot as somebody that the lord is unwilling to destroy because he's quote Mm -hmm. unquote comparatively righteous Mm. um so and you know righteous does not mean morally perfect or anything um yeah i if i were to characterize lot i wouldn't say that he's just like a total wicked evil person i i it doesn't seem to me like that's what's going on it it seems to me like he's a He's a he's a spirit. He's a compromised person whose life decisions have now put him in a place where he is acting 
more wickedly than he should be. But Mm -hmm. I I do think that there's a distinction made between him and the people of Sodom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he shudders at the note. He's the one who tries to at least do well by the visitors. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So saying that he's innocent is too far, but I think it's also too far to say that he's just like, he's just as bad as everyone else. Um. So okay. this text requires moderation, basically. A moderation, yes. yes. Um, so Genesis 19, 17 through 29. Yeah, so this is the biggest uh, portion of text to read. So here we go real quick. How are we doing on time here, Kristen? I have no idea. Oh, you gosh. have time going. We've, we've blasted <laughs> over our goal, but I think we'll be quicker than we usually are. So All right. <laughs> we are improving. Okay. Um And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I could do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So why do you think Lot is so adamant about continuing to live in the valley rather than being reunited with Abraham? Mm. Whoa. Yeah. This is this is open. I don't know if there's anything in the text that gives us one way or another, right? But like that one option would be to go back with Abraham. It doesn't seem like he's got very much. I don't think it doesn't seem like yeah. he has to be concerned about having too many flocks and stuff. Yeah. And um it's all been destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one possibility might be that he's, despite what's happened, he's just still has a heart for this place and thinks he can make it work here mm. um, and and still hasn't completely learned his lesson. Um, another might be Shane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is definitely an open ended question um, that I don't know if the text is very clear about, but it's it's uh, I think Ryan gave, uh, you know, in, in the sermon was talking uh, basically as if he's almost it's almost like uh, another part of his thick headedness. Like, um, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's, that's so far away. <laughs> don't make. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is close. Making excuses, yeah. Uh, yeah. For his yeah. comfort. Yeah. yeah, there's there's definitely a few ways you can kind of read it. I am wondering, so when I never thought about that before, their instruction to Abraham is, is that for their, their instruction to Lot is to go back to Abraham? Essentially, is that what they're saying? Uh, I don't think so. Or not necessarily. I I, I don't think they say that, no. But I mean, that one would wonder why that wouldn't be a live option, you know, just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So why is Lot's wife, why is Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt? And in what ways do you struggle with? Wow. Why can't I read today? <laughs> and in what ways do you struggle that you remind, that remind you of her? Yeah. So again, she, she just longs, she longs for this city that's been yeah. destroyed. Right. She looks back in longing and it's, and it's a direct, um, it's direct disobedience to, to what they just told her exactly to do or to yeah. not do, you know? Um, um, yeah. And I think it's, it's easy. I mean, a lot of, you might have a lot of stories where, you know, where people think about like their, the past life, you know, like the life that they had. And so, so often when you become a Christian, um, you start to think about how, oh man, like I, th- it was so much easier <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> back then. Cause I didn't have these concerns or these struggles or what have you. So that, uh, you'll probably get some interesting, uh, answers out of yeah. this question. I, I, it reminds me of, um, Romans 6, 20 and 21, where Paul says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So like you, you, you didn't have to worry about doing righteous things, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? The end of those mm. things is death. That's like a verse that really reminds me of, you know, every time I look back on my, my former life with, with fondness or like, I'm re- reminded like that, no, like that, <laughs> what, fr- what fruit was I getting from those things of which I am now ashamed? Yeah. 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 All right, a disturbing end to a sad life. Oh uh, man! Oh man! <laughs> Have fun reading this one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so verses thirty to thirty-eight. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters and the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not, he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the young, younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both of the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and his and called his name Benami, and he is the father of the uh, how do you say that Ammonites Ammonites, Ammonites yeah. to this day. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So <laughs> after you're done consoling any Moabite or Ammonite uh, descended people in your in your small group, <laughs> now uh, okay. Yeah, is this is. This is supposed to sound disturbing, right? This yes, is supposed absolutely. to be something that disturbs us, right? You not- do, I can just feel uh, the the people who are hearing for the first time uh, this story, like cringing <laughs> I'm yeah. right there with them. Like, oh, no. Um, yeah. So in the sermon, Ryan noted how Lot, a man who once was so prosperous that he couldn't dwell in the same land as Abraham, has now lost everything because of his compromise with sin. How have you experienced the ravages of your own sin in 
of, of sin in your own life. Don't, don't think merely in material terms. Sorry. I really am struggling with reading today. Either that, or I worded things in very strange ways. I'm inclined towards the latter, but all right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm inclined towards the latter. So yeah, open-ended question here. Um, uh, how have you experienced the ravages of sin? The things that it's cost you, the things that, um, yeah, um, yeah. Think think about the ways that um, my life would be better had I had I um, listened to the Lord sooner mm-hmm. or listened to Him done a better job. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, this is definitely not an account that will make it into children's Sunday school. Why do you think the Bible includes such disturbingly horrific stories? Uh, I think, I think that's the interesting part about the Bible is how like we get this history of um, just the the worst of humanity <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and God's faithfulness through it all and yeah, his, yeah. his mercy and grace through it all. Um, so I, I think that's, that's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. And what, I, I, I find, go yeah. ahead. Well, I, I think too that like um if we look around at our world and how disturbing our world actually is, like this is horrible to read, but stuff like this happens. And yeah. and uh, and it is the result of sin and candying it over or or mm-hmm. or trying to cover it up or pretending as if like if if you're in danger from something, uh you don't do anyone uh if someone's in danger of something you don't do them any favors by softening that. And, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I think the, so I think the Bible is frank with the, with the, the terrible things that, that ignoring God um, can, can, can bring us to. Yeah. Um, I, so. I think it's crazy too. Like his daughters, his daughter, like they, they just saw Sodom and Gomorrah com- completely destroyed. And so here it seems, they think like there's literally no, man for them to marry now there's no more men for them to marry and and carry on the human race (laughs) like that seems to be what they think like this is it which is another reason i think maybe they were locked kept under lock and key their whole lives because they're like Mm. all they knew was sodom and gomorrah um but also just kind of underlining kind of how far lots um compromise has gone to the point where it's easy to get him drunk Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have any clue what's going on yeah yeah, there's there's this there's there's almost a blind list there as well. Yeah. So yeah, uh, definitely you know a weird story to to end off with, but that's <laughs> you know uh, all right. So um, okay, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to go just go ahead and uh, look at our prayer stuff here. So pray for the yep. Lord to reveal areas of spiritual compromise in your life. Pray that God would give you a sense of diligence in reaching out to others and attending to your own spiritual growth. And then pray for those in your life who struggle with the issues you see displayed in the people of Sodom. Um, So, and those are, goes for all of the many things that we talked about before. And again, remember uh, to to read those final pages where we have suggestions for how to have the conversations that may come up this week. Yeah, that'll be really helpful for you. Yeah, I hope it will. So, okay, well, that's about it for uh, this installment. So thank you. We tried guys. Yeah, we're working (laughs) on it. So. We appreciate we appreciate you sticking with us, and obviously, as as always, we appreciate you leading 
Um, so have a great group this week. We are continuing to pray for you and uh, feel free to get back to us with any feedback you have. So until next week, take care. Bye. Bye.